you're between the ages of four to the second grade, you are excused to kids club. If you'd like to act like you're between four to second grade, you can follow my son who is running. I know that they would love to have more volunteers in the kids club. Well, I stand before you a little prideful, a little excited, proud to proclaim that as a family we have survived the coldest January we've ever had. Man, it was good. I I think you guys, again, overestimated it a little bit, but uh, we survived. This February, though, it's bitter. It's bitter. Well, we are walking through a four-week series called Calvary 101, looking at the mission and the vision of the church. We started this series three weeks ago. We started walking through the Gospels, and we wanted to see this pattern of ministry that Jesus set forth. And if you look through the Gospels, we looked at all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We saw that Jesus had this pattern of calling people together, to gathering them purposefully, and then sending them back out. That that Jesus set about this great work of building the kingdom by calling people together and sending them back out. And as we worked through that, we landed in the Great Commission. This great idea that we are to go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing people, and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us. And if that is the mission of the church, and I would put before you that is not only the mission of this church, that's the mission of anyone who calls themselves a church according to the scriptures, then we've got to get our minds around how do we be a part of that. What do we do? So Calvary, we've adopted a vision statement that says building a community in Christ to reach a community for Christ. That, that tells us how we then fulfill the mission that God has put before us to make disciples. As a church, we want to be about building a community to reach a community. Well, having put that before you, we've spent the last three weeks kind of walking through these four commitments that we want to ask people to intentionally make. And, and if you've missed any of those weeks, we'd refer you back to our podcast because they all stand alone. They're all really important. And yet I take the time to recap them all every week. So here comes again. The first one, we want to ask you to be a church that prays. We take you to Luke 10, 2 through 3. This is what Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray earnestly in the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That God is desiring us as a people to be praying that more people would be sent out into the field because the harvest is plentiful. And yet we can't miss verse 3 where he ends asking them to pray by saying, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of the wolves. That as a church, we're called to be praying that people would go out into the field. And having put that need before God, we're supposed to then recognize that we are also the answer to that prayer. That we need to be sending more workers into the field. That entitles us to be in the field, going to the field, but sending even more. We want to be a church that prays for the mission and the vision We took the next step to say, we want you to pray for the church. Uh, The second week, we talked about giving. We use this as our verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That as a church, we want to be a church that sows bountifully, 
that has the resources that can sow bountifully into the community around us. That, that giving isn't just something that, it's not an act of compulsion, but an opportunity to play a, a part in the greater role of the world evangelism. We have a chance to give to the mission and the vision of the church to see the kingdom broadened and grown. The third commitment we put before you last week comes out of 1 Peter 4.10. We want to ask you to serve. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That each one of us has been given a gift. God has gifted us purposefully and he's called us to use it to serve one another. In fact, in verse 11, verse 11 finishes this way and says, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So if asked the question, why do you serve in the church? The answer is one, we're serving one another and that's helpful, but ultimately we are serving in the church because it gives God glory. So should you wonder why you hold a baby or push a stroller or or count numbers or mow a lawn, the answer is it glorifies God. That as a body, he's put us together. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 and 15 says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So as we walked through last week, the question isn't whether or not you're a part of the body. The question becomes whether or not you're a functioning part of the body. Your presence suggests that you're part of the body, but are you functioning? Because if you're a part and you're not functioning, then the church will always be hindered. The church will always be incapable of doing what it could do if we were all in well practice. Last week, we, if you were here for the Connection Hour, we passed out a lot of paperwork. We even sent people home with homework. If you've filled out a spiritual gifts test we would, and you took it home with you, we would love to get it back. Uh, there are a number of you who took it, and several of you looking at me with like these guilty grins. Um, yeah, that's you. If you'd get it back to us, that's awesome. If you did not, we would love to help you get more involved and invested at Calvary by giving you a spiritual gifts assessment so we have a sense of how you're gifted, of where we can get you serving at Calvary, so it's not just that you're coming and just sitting in the pews and taking up space, being part of the body that doesn't function, but wanting to call you to be a part that functions. So as we work through these four commitments, we've got pray, give, and serve, and none of those so far have been shocking. I don't think there's anyone who's come and thought, what? Give? A church asked that? That's crazy. Pray? Why would I do that? Most of those you expected. Most of us understand that churches need to be prayed for. Most of us understand that churches need resources. Most of us understand that churches need to be served. But we miss the greater connection of building the kingdom of God into those actions. We think it's about putting a brick and mortar building on a particular street, on a particular city, and we miss the opportunity to see that we participate in the building of the kingdom of God by doing it. Now, I want to take it one step further this week. People have joked with me for a while that I have this habit of getting into people's business. And I'm coming back today. The fourth commitment we want to have for you says participate. And what in the world do I mean by participate? 
Well, if you'd turn with me for a second to Hebrews 10.25. If you've got a Bible, open it up. It's really helpful for you to see I'm not making this up. I'm not like giving you some numbers and names and then like telling you whatever I think. But that we'd go to God's word. If you don't have one, the Red Pew Bible before you, we'd love to give it to you as a gift. But we'll be on page 107 so that you can look smart. Hebrews 10.25 says this. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV because I memorized it in the NIV. And if I do it otherwise, I'll mess it up. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In, In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now for just a moment, I want you to stop and think about Because I suspect most of you have heard this verse before. I think most of you have probably even pondered it. What do you think he's asking them to do? What do you think he's putting before them? Do you think the author of Hebrews is suggesting to these persecuted believers who are struggling to figure out how to live under persecution, that they should gather once a week in a room full of people, some of whom they hardly know, and act like they have all their stuff together. Oh, I wouldn't think so at all. But somehow in the modern day, that's how we've translated church to be. We've gotten this ideology that church means that place where we go once a week and we sit by people whom we hardly know, We acknowledge people with a head nod. And we think that this is communion. This is community. This is the engagement that God wants for us. And what I would put before you is true in Hebrews, would be true throughout the entire New Testament. It's a skeleton of what God has for you. It's, It's a shallow understanding of the church. That what God had for these people was this idea that they would gather together on a regular basis. That they would be real with one another. That they would share their strengths and their weaknesses. And that they'd be able to gather in such a way that they could carry each other through hard times. So then when it got really, really difficult and really hard, they had a group of people around them who could throw their arms around them and pull them in. You have worked in churches for about 14 years. An interesting thing about being in a church is every once in a while, and this happened to us in Memphis a couple of times, somebody will go to the hospital, sometimes for a major event, and be very, very frustrated that the pastor doesn't show up. Well, one of the times that happened to us in Memphis, and I know that there's bad seasons where that happened, but in this particular instance, this woman was very frustrated because we didn't come. So we asked her, Who did you tell you were in the hospital? Well, nobody. You didn't tell anybody you were in the hospital? No, it was embarrassing. You didn't tell anybody you were in the hospital, and yet you thought we would find out? Do you see the missing links that happen sometimes? People go through things, 
and they expect us to magically know about it as if I have this login spiritual thing where I log in with the Lord and he updates me with all of your struggles and I then get to call you based on where you're struggling and say, hey, the Lord in his divine nature showed me that you need help in this area. Now, actually, God fully intended us to live in community with one another so that we wouldn't be gathered together putting our best face forward. Rather, we'd be the hospital where we'd gather together and say, man, I'm getting owned. I'm really struggling here. Because let's be honest, there's nobody here who's owning it right now. There isn't anyone here who's got it all together. And, and let that soak in for just a minute. Because some of us are so tempted when we show up in church on a Sunday to sit down in the middle of worship to look around and go, they've got it together. Man, why don't I have it together like they do? Well, he's got it together too. I fall so short compared to what they're doing. And we use it as this opportunity to judge ourselves. And you know why we do it? Because we're not in community with those people. And if we were in community with those people, we would understand that though they have nicer shoes and shirts and they look like they've got their lives together, man, it, it's not what it looks like. And it's not so that we'd be in judgment or we'd stand there and feel better about ourselves. Man, I'm so glad I know that guy. Whew. And you know what's going on in his life. It really comes about that we could carry one another's burdens, that we could walk in this community so in Hebrews 10.25, the author of Hebrews is putting before these people, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. He's writing to them because they're in, under this intense persecution where people are giving up their faith. And he's telling them, man, you got to stay together. you got to walk through this together. If you've got any chance of making this through, you're going to be together. It's like in the movie Gladiator when they get in that fight scene in the middle. If you separate out, they'll pick you off. But if you stay together, you'll survive. It's the idea of the church. In fact, there's a strong undercurrent. If you were to read the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, it shows up in every book. It becomes so much a culture of the faith that we have a hard time finding places to pinpoint that says, live in close proximity with people. Live within close proximity of people. Live within close proximity of people. And I think we've taken the Americanization of theology and we've so individualized ourselves that we've missed it. My dad, who is a brilliant man and a sweet, sweet gift to me and who listens to my podcasts, has joked several times that he has two books he wants to write. One of them about railroads, I don't understand it. The other one has everything to do with the, what the effect of air conditioning on America. That it used to be, prior to air conditioning, we all sat on our, I don't know what you did in the north, okay? This is my southern illustration coming into your world. <laughs> but it used to be that people sat on their front porches and engaged each other. But when we got air conditioning, we stopped sitting on our front porch and we started going inside. And then we put garages on so we didn't have to talk to our neighbors anymore. And so now it's possible for some of us to live in houses where we pull into our driveway, pull into our garage, shut the garage door, get out, never see a neighbor, never engage a neighbor, never even know our neighbors. Why would we ever know any of them? Because we've so individualized our lives 
that we don't strive to connect with people, we've missed this idea of community. And even how we talk about our faith says we do it on our own. People say all the time, well, my personal walk with Jesus. Find that in the New Testament, friends. Now, I'm not telling you not to have a personal walk with Jesus. I'm just telling you it's not about your personal walk. It's about our corporate walk. It's about us being in communion together. It's about us walking in life together. And though I have a hard time finding great places to pinpoint this in the New Testament, I'll show you the best shot we've got. It's in Acts 2, verse 42. In your Red Pew Bible, it's on page 911. Now, if you have read the book of Acts, you're familiar with the movement. If you haven't, let me catch you up. The book of Acts, written by Luke, it's a second volume. It's a companion volume to the Gospel of Luke. Luke sits down, meets with Paul. Paul disciples him. Paul mentors him. He writes the Gospel of Luke to this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus wants to know what the church looks like. He continues to write another volume. He writes down what Jesus did. And the interesting thing is when you get to Acts, you find that Christ has been crucified, and it picks up at the very beginning with resurrection appearances. Now, this, I don't have this on your screen because I'm playing around in my Bible. I'm off the script. I want you just for a second to look at Acts 1-4. Because as Jesus has had this habit on the earth, walking in life with people, calling them together, being with them, and sending them out, it doesn't stop even in his resurrected body. Verse 1 4 says this, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now I point that out to you because if you have a Red Pew Bible, you will note that there is a footnote by the word staying, and I don't know what version you have, but that word staying does not mean that they lived together, although it has that connotation. The word actually says, if you look at the footnote, it says the word actually means eating with them. Now, for just a moment, I want you to consider Jesus, who walked for three years from these guys, had opportunity to teach them, tell them everything he wanted to know, dies, is resurrected, and now he wants to stay a week with these guys and eat with them. Now, that's actually incredibly relational. And if you're relational like me, you think it's cool. Good for Jesus. Did Jesus need to eat? He resurrected from the dead. I would think he didn't have to. It is helpful for some of us, we get encouraged by this, to know that resurrected people do eat. You find that several times. Jesus does it several times, even post-resurrection. But he gathers these guys together and he keeps up this process of pulling them together and meeting with them, and being in a relationship with them. And we find two verses later, he ascends into heaven and sends them away. And that pattern continues on in the book of Acts. But I want to hone in in Acts 2, 42. When we've come to this part, Jesus has ascended. The church is born in the beginning of Acts 2 at Pentecost. After Pentecost, Peter walks outside, preaches Jesus to the crowd, and 3,000 people join the church. Now, if the church actually started at Pentecost, and there's some great arguments it did, you should note that according to Acts 1.15, there were about 120 people that were believing at that point. 
Now, if you're going to take that as a literal statement, we walk into Acts 241, 3,000 people are added to the church. You now have roughly 3,120 people believing in Jesus. Now, that's a pretty sizable increase to go from 120 to 3,100. So let's see what the church looked like in 242. It said in the day, the day is encompassed by that 120 that started out and the 3,000 who were added. They devoted themselves. Devoted mean they regularly partake. They spent all of their time. This was the driving part of their lives. They devoted themselves to two things. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to two things. Now this has got to be extremely important that Jesus, having given these guys the great commission, having ascended into heaven and built the church on the Holy Spirit, having told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, the church starts, it gets unleashed. So what do they do? This has got to be so crucial because it's got to be tied to what Jesus poured into these guys for over three years. Initially, immediately, what they start doing is gathering together regularly for the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. He goes on, by the way, to tell you what the fellowship means. That it's not just that they watched a TV show together or they had a potluck, though we all think that's a good idea. He says, the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. These, these guys gathered together so that they could consider the apostles' teaching. These guys who walked with Jesus, they wanted to hear all the teaching that Jesus had put before them. They wanted to hear all the teaching as Jesus had explained the Old Testament to these guys on a beach and the fulfillment of how Christ fulfilled it. They wanted to hear that. But they were also devoted to breaking bread together. Now we can be really quick to understand that as communion. And we'd miss the point of the term. This idea of breaking bread together is used throughout the New Testament And it almost always means eating a meal together. It almost always means that they sit down on a table and they share lives with one another. Now occasionally it means communion. And occasionally it means eating dinner together. And most of the time, both are included. So as these people devoted themselves, as the church has grown, it's coming together. They devote themselves to studying the word of God and sharing lives together, to eating a meal together, and to praying for one another. See, there's just something righteous and holy about that in the New Testament. There's something holy about the idea that you'd invite somebody to your house and that you'd share a meal with them one-on-one, or one-on-five, or one-on-eight. There's just something holy about that. In fact, we'd find through the book of Acts this term home-to-home shows up a lot. This idea that as the church grew and got big, 3,100 people now, you got to know that there wasn't a building that 3,100 people fit in. In fact, it wasn't until the third century that anyone built a building to put a church in it. And they only started doing it because they were too big for homes. 
So they started the church meeting in little groups of people eating together, hearing God's word taught, and praying for one another. And if you want to know more about what they prayed for one another, walk through the book of Acts. Because it would be a fascinating study to find that as the disciples go out and they're persecuted, that they come back together and they pray. That they would be more bold. That they'd endure more persecution. That they could be so honored by suffering for Jesus, they prayed for more boldness. They continued to pray that God would let them spread his kingdom. And that was their point. It's this little insight, this little picture of what we've got into the inner life of the New Testament church at the very beginning. And we see the impact of it in 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These people gathered together. And you know why they had awe? Because they had the opportunity to stop and to gather and to tell all the really amazing stories about what God had been doing. How God had been faithful. How they didn't know if they were going to make it through this. How they didn't know if they were going to make it through that. And yet God continued to be faithful to them. So they had a sense of awe. If our God could carry us through that, what else can we walk through? They had a sense of awe because they were amazed at what God was doing in their midst. And awe came over them. And they watched God move. In fact, you find these people were so close in proximity. In 44, it says, and all who believed together had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them and the proceeds to all as any had need. The interesting thing about 44 and 45 is some people want to articulate this is communism, that this would be the beginning of communism. And yet the very difference between communism and this is communism is when it's imposed upon you. These people were walking in so close fellowship with one another that they discerned one another's needs and didn't have a choice out of love but to want to respond. They loved each other so well and so thoroughly that the natural course of action was, I should sell something to help. I should be a part of this more. They were in such great community with one another. And we missed that idea. In verse 46 and 47, you get the first. Uh, if you were to read through the whole book, you'd find there are seven spots where a progress report is giving, letting you know kind of summarizes the major advances of the church. So in 46, it says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke summarizes it like this. Day by day, every day these people were gathering. Every day they were gathering and they were going to places of community. That's what the temple was for. They were going to be around people. They were going to engage people. They were going out to love people. And then they would regather in homes. They would break bread. They would share meals together. They were glad and they were generous and they praised God for what he'd been done. And they had favor with all the people. 
Calvary, this is what participating in the church looks like. It means that we make that step where we move closer to one another intentionally and purposefully. It it means that we walk away from an idea of an individualistic faith where I don't talk about it and I don't share and, and I keep my hurts to myself, I keep my pains to myself. It means we move closer together so that we can love one another, so we can carry one another's burdens, so that we can be nearer to one another, so that we can be the church. As we've walked through these four commitments, praying, serving, praying, giving, serving, and participating, this is the hard one. Because if we've walked through these commitments, I know there's no one going to argue with me whether we're right or wrong. The challenge isn't whether you'll argue with me. The challenge is will you buy in enough to do it? Will you buy in enough to make a step out, to engage other people in community, to be known, and to be loved so that we're not walking by ourselves anymore, waiting to get picked off by the enemy, but we're moving together into packs so we can more thoroughly love one another, engage one another, and care for one another. So when something really hard happens in your life, you're not just left to call a coworker or assume the church finds out through some artificial system that doesn't exist, but so that you've got a group of people who are walking so close and tight-knit with you that you understand what you're walking through together. So if you end up in the hospital, it's not the pastor that needs to show up. It's your community group. It's the people in life you've been walking with because they can love you in a way that is, we can't. And friends, that's when the church starts to become the tangible hands and hugs of God. That's when the church starts to get to be the church. When we're in that kind of close proximity, walking close with one another. So that if you struggle with a sin and you ask yourself, could God ever forgive me for this? How am I ever supposed to walk through this? If you have a community of people around you who are hugging you, loving you, and reminding you of God's grace, that their acceptance of you is symbolic of God's grace, that's where you feel it. That's where you experience it. That's where you're in the midst of it. And when you walk through hard things and you think you're the only one, sometimes it's really helpful to sit in a group to realize you're not the only one. It's not just you. Probably half of your group is in that. The other half was last year. See, Satan has such a desire to isolate us. Says he's roaming around like a lion looking for someone to devour. You know how gazelles survive in Africa? They stay together. You watch National Geographic. You see a gazelle walking by himself. You know that guy's getting eaten. You just know it's about to happen. He's about to get nom-nommed. You see him running together in a pack. You know, those guys are safe. They're going to run around until he falls. Then that guy's going to get eaten. Church, we want to call you to something else. We want to call you to walk in life together. We want to call you to be a part of community. That at Calvary, if we're desiring to build a community, what does that really mean? 
Well, here that means we want to call you into close proximity of relationships where you're really known and you're really loved and you experience that full on. It's the undercurrent throughout the New Testament that you walk and live together. And we want that to be true here. In the midst of your worship folder, you have a light gray sheet that says Calvary Community Groups on it. Every week we've, I'm trying to make strove a past tense, striven? I'm bad at grammar. We've really tried to make a lot of this very practical for you. I've been asked a couple of times, how then do we carry this out? What does this look like? We've tried to make it really practical for you. That we want the four commitments to be that you pray for the mission and vision of the church, that you give to the mission and vision of the church, you serve the mission and vision of the church, and you participate. And what that looks like is that you get involved in the lives of people. So we're launching a community groups program. We're starting. It's just the beginning. But in time, we want this to be a a huge movement in our church where we're calling all of us in together. Now, some of you have been here for a long time. Some of you not as long. And you might ask yourselves, how do I get involved? Here's your answer. You might think, but I'm new. Will everyone know each other? It's just starting. Like you could be on the ground floor. You could be the founding member. We'll put your name on a plaque. It'll be incredible. But we're wanting to start community groups so that we'll have people together purposefully to share lives. And so what these groups are going to do is they're going to gather on a weekly basis and they're going to talk about what's, being, what's going on Sunday morning. What's, what was the sermon about? We're going to engage the teaching of the apostles. We're going to share a meal. We're going to eat something. And we're going to pray for one another. Why? Because that's the pattern you see throughout the New Testament. And we want to call all of you to be a part of it. So that if you've been walking in faith for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 2 years, or 90 years, we can't do this on our own. It's not worked for anybody yet. So we're wanting to call us into smaller groups where we can love, for one, another, love one another better, care for one another better, and be known more thoroughly. We want to call you to participate by joining the community. As we've walked through these four values, pray, give, serve, participate, that's what it means to be involved in the church. That's what it means to buy into the mission and the vision. That's what it means to give yourself. It's what it means to be healthy. It's our desire that everyone move closer to people. It's our heartfelt desire that that's where you experience grace. That's where you experience life and community. And that's what gives us the best chance to see God work and move and to build the community that we so desperately want to see him built so that we can reach a community for his glory. As we've been walking through these last three weeks, 
every week we've had a connection hour after this. And I'll again ask you to stay for the next hour. And we'll walk through the connection hour. We're going to continue to make it more practical to continue to talk about it a little bit more. To put a little bit more before you and ask that you be a part of that. And then as a, the next step that if you want to buy into these four values, the next Sunday during the Connection Hour, I'll be teaching an additional class, which will be the next step of membership. An interesting thing for Calvary is that we've got a lot of folks here who regularly attend who aren't members. And we want to ask you to make the next step. Why membership? Because it clarifies who's in the body. It makes it really abundantly clear who's in the body and who's trying to function and how do we get you more plugged in? Why membership? It's a fascinating thing. Why membership? I'd, I'd come back at you with a different question. Why marriage? Well, membership is like marriage. When you find somebody and you like somebody, you commit to somebody for better or worse. Membership falls into that same key. Now, I totally get that that makes people uncomfortable. But we need to take into a view of the church where when we get crossed with somebody... We don't flee. We don't run. We don't, take, miss the, we don't miss the opportunity to walk through conflict with one another that we'd both grow through it. So we want to, why membership? Because that we commit to one another to seeing God's kingdom pushed forward. We commit to one another to see God's kingdom pushed forward. We'll talk more about that next week. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue. Father, thank you for your word, that in your word we find life, and in your word we find instruction, and in your word we find comfort. And yet, Father, we were not called to live this life alone. We were called to live it in community. We find it in the Old Testament and the New. But I know, Father, that that's a challenge. It's a challenge I feel. It's a challenge that many of us feel. My life is busy. My schedule is busy. How do I fit something else in? And yet, Lord, I know that if, if my commitment is to you, if my commitment is to your kingdom, if my commitment is to a lot of these things, then, Father, I can't afford not to move closer to people, to walk with them, and to be walked with. There's just too much at stake. So, Father, I pray that as a church, you'd call us to commit ourselves to building your kingdom. That it wouldn't just be about doing what we want six days a week and coming to a building and sitting next to people we hardly know. But, Father, you'd call us to something greater, that you would build something here. Father, that's incredible. For your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.